Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com and I'm really glad that you're joining us for a conversation about the reign of God. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, you really need to go back and listen to that first and then this one will make sense. There's going to be part three and four as well. This one's a long one. So buckle up. It's great study, uh, very important study for understanding the macro view of the Bible. And uh, without any further ado, let's jump back into the conversation, shall we? Well, you have, you know, to answer this question, uh, how can God reign when evil exists? Genesis 50 verse 20 um, stands on its own as, as the proof that God uses or can use evil to accomplish his will. Joseph's life ultimately uh, proves that. You have other examples here um, of people who rebel against God, but, but God is still king and how his sovereignty isn't overthrown um, just because people aren't submitting to his will. What's, what Bible verses, scriptures, etc. make that point? Well, I think um, an example is the Tower of Babel. I think that's really a large part of the reason for the story, is to show that um, mankind uh, starts the archetypical city set, that sets itself up against God. Here's another good sermon for you, the three... Babylons. Babel means Babylon. It's the mm-hmm. same word in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So you've got Babel in Genesis 11. You've got Babylon, which comes and destroys Israel. And then in Revelation, you've got Rome being the new Babylon. Mm-hmm. And so Babel sets itself up against God. And God very sarcastically says, oh, come, let us come down and, and see what they're going to do. And he just completely uh, eradicates the, the, attempt, the attempted coup. Sure by confusing their languages and mankind can do nothing and have to be scattered and God accomplishes his purpose of scattering people across the face of the earth to populate mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Another example I think is is um, the Exodus. Pharaoh has set himself up as God and it seems like the the plagues, the ten plagues are a judgment on th- the different gods of Egypt and the the Bible insists that even though God's own people are slaves in Egypt, that God still reigns. And he proves it with with the plagues and bringing his people out with a a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And in the Song of the Sea, uh, Moses' song, after Pharaoh and his army have all drowned in Exodus uh, 15 and 18, Moses says, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. So even though evil exists, even though some people, even most people, like you, you gave the example of the flood, even though most people are in rebellion against God, he still reigns. And the flood is another proof of that. He's able to do what he wills because mm-hmm. he is sovereign. He reigns. You have the example of the servants or the, the minas and the, the tenants uh, in the New Testament as people who um, were still under the authority of a master. Mm-hmm even though they didn't want to be, or they you know, didn't want to obey his will, but that didn't excuse them whenever the time came for judgment. Before you shared the biblical application of it, I just need to add a little flavor. Um, 
Gabriel for his 13th birthday, he and I went camping here in the Dallas area at a Cedar Lake or Cedar Hill State Park. Anyway, Joe Pool Lake, I think, is the name of it. Anyway, it's in the Dallas area. And there's a place called Penn Farm right next to it. And it's like a, the Penn family was a, a wealthy, well, I don't know, I don't know if I'd call them wealthy, but they had a lot of land right there in the Dallas area. So they got a big farmhouse from the 1800s, but they also had these tenant houses on the property. And it was for families that moved in and needed work and they would work the land. So that was part of the arrangement was the tenant lived in the tenant house on the property of the landowner and uh, basically did the will of the landowner and in exchange they had the right to stay and be a part of it. And it gave me goosebumps. I don't know why, but it's just it was neat in our country and in our in the la even within you know the last uh, hundred and twenty years or so that we had tenant farmers that didn't own the land, didn't really have a lot of rights, and relied on the will the goodwill of the landowner to provide them with um, their livelihood. And so I snapped a picture of it. I was just looking at it on my phone. And uh, it made me think about this exact parable, the parable of the, of the tenants, whenever the king tells them what to do, and then he goes off to the far country, and they say, we won't do that. And looking at that historical placard and stuff, it, like, it would be shocking to hear people who had moved from the other side of the country and were destitute and had nothing, and then they agreed to the terms of obeying the, the landowner's will. It would be crazy to think about them demanding like we're not going to do what you say because they're on his land so anyway that's the flavor from the past hundred years or so but what's in the bible this um G this parable that jesus is telling what's he what's he wanting to accomplish and hopefully people that listen to my long meandering story will be able to make a connection <laughs> well i think there's from what if i remember correctly there's some historical background to it as well because i think one of the herods went to Rome to receive, um, I think it was Herod the Great's son. Mm -hmm. Well, history buffs will correct me, but anyway, I think there's a historical background where one of the Herods went to Rome to receive the kingdom uh, in Israel, a part of Israel, and the Jews hated him, so they sent a delegation, and it didn't work out so well for them when he got back. Mm. And but so I think the the parable of the minas is or minus I, I don't know how to say it but uh, sounds more exotic whenever you say yeah the minas <laughs> i don't know that's what i think <laughs> let's do that and uh that, that that's talking about uh, um i mean the, the 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 major point of the story is to do with the the minas and what the servants did with those and sure. of course there's the one who doesn't do anything yeah the wicked and lazy servant yeah but there's this background um uh, which uh makes it a little bit different from the other stories, the similar stories, where um, uh, verse, so this is Luke chapter 19, verse uh, 14, it says, but his citizens, this is the, the nobleman's citizens, hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So he was reigning over, uh, over them. Um, verse 27, the very last verse of the story, Right. the nobleman says, but bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. And I think that's a good illustration. I mean, clearly Jesus is applying this to himself. Yeah. And I think he's talking about the disbelieving Jews 
that they could reject his authority if they wanted, but it was given to him by God, and he was going to reign, right. and they were going to be punished if they rejected. Uh, it's, it's not like they could declare their independence and form th- their own United States. <laughs> sure. Um, there was no way that Jesus or, or God were or are going to abdicate their um, authority. They will reign. They will reign forever and ever. And anyone who wants to reject that is going to have to face the consequences sooner or later. That last verse is sobering to me mm-hmm. because it's uh, when you think about the reign of God. I guess it's really easy for us to fall into that trap that we, we oftentimes accuse other groups of falling into, which is that God is a loving, benevolent, gracious father. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Yeah. Romans uh, 11. Romans 10? something. <laughs> it's 9, 10, or 11. I know that. I know it's yeah. in it's in that um To those section. who fell, severity. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is Romans 11, but it's about the Jews that wouldn't remain in their position and the Gentiles that are willing to come in on based on faith. Well, and I think about John the Baptist. He preached about um, one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I think that's part of the reason why when um, John's in prison and he asks Jesus, are you the, the coming one or should we look for someone else? I don't mm-hmm. think it's so much that he's doubting Jesus, is that he was preaching about the Messiah who would come and bless some with the Holy Spirit and curse some with fire and death. And he said, look, you're, you're, you're doing the, the preaching thing. That's great. Come get me out of prison and, and let's do the judgment thing too. <laughs> and, and Jesus was telling him, no, that's not time for that yet. Yeah. Um, I'm preaching and healing and the, the poor have the good news preached to them. But, the time will come when Jesus will come back in flaming fire uh, with his holy angels in vengeance. Mm-hmm. You ask this question, so I'm going to ask it for you and give you the opportunity to answer it. If God has always been king and cannot cease to be so, what do we make of the passages which speak of his kingdom as coming in the future? Now, have we just answered that already, or is there more to it? Than... I think there's, there's a little more to it, okay. because there's a tension in, in the Bible about God does reign, always. God has always reigned, God is reigning, and God will continue to reign into eternity. And his reign is uh, not just everlasting in time, but it's comprehensive in space. There's no place in this universe that is outside the reign of God. Mm -hmm. So then when Daniel prophesies about that stone that was cut without hands, and that would be a kingdom that would be set up in the days of those kings, Mm -hmm. if God is reigning now, how can there be a kingdom in the future? How can God set up a kingdom in the future? There's a tension between the, uh, oftentimes it's described as the, um, the already but uh, not yet, or the, the, well, I'm forgetting the other way it's described. But there's 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 something about the kingdom that is already here, and something that's uh, coming in the future. Okay. And there's this tension between the two. But I think what we need to really keep in mind is that although there are these two aspects of the kingdom, we can't just ignore one for the sake of the other. Sure. We can't only focus on God reigns forever and ever, eternally, comprehensively, 
and ignore kingdom coming passages. Mm -hmm. Likewise, we can't say, well, the kingdom's coming or the kingdom starts out small as a mustard seed and forget about the fact that God has reigned for eternity. We need to keep these two concepts in mind and let the scriptures explain um, how those two concepts marry, what they mean. And I think the answer is we're looking at the kingdom from different aspects. Well, let, let's maybe focus on the aspect of the kingdom that God uh, had over Israel. I, I think some who listen to this, hopefully, um, I know I've had conversations with many people that think that uh, it really is a, a, a territory over in the Middle East, and it's got a boundary, it's got a flag, and, and it is that godly territory. But you're making the case uh, that God wanted to extend his grace to Israel, but that didn't mean that he was giving up claim on the whole world, right? That's right. That's right. So we already talked about God. Well, we I don't remember if we talked about God. We talked about the concept of reigning without consent. Okay. Well, maybe refresh my mind. Reigning without consent, just that he, despite... Uh, the citizens wanting it. Yes. So in, in, rules over them. in Luke chapter, what was it? I've already forgotten what the passage was. Luke chapter 19. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. The citizens hated him. Right. They didn't want him to reign over right. him, but he reigned over them anyway. And he had the authority to put them to death. So he was reigning over them without their consent because he had that authority. Sure. God has all authority and he has reigned over everyone. I mean, he's, he's the father of spirits. He gives mankind, every man and woman and child, mm-hmm. their spirit. So he created us. He created our spirit. He owns us. Uh, he has that authority over us, whether we consent to that or not. Right. Which, you know, as I said, living in the West, that can be a, a little difficult to to uh, feel comfortable with. Sure. But that's just how it is. Yeah. God is the father of spirits. He is the creator. Um, you know, God was king over Israel before the law was given at Sinai because we we already referenced the story of the crossing the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. God had destroyed Egypt. The Egyptians said with the 10 plagues, then God destroys Pharaoh and his army. And then Moses sings the song recounting the victories of God and praising him. And he says in Exodus 15 verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Right. This is before Sinai. Right. God is king over Israel before the law of Moses is given. Um, but when Israel came to Sinai, God appeared before them in the, the thunderings and the lightnings and the smoke and the fire and the earthquakes. And he gave them a covenant. Well, I guess that's not quite accurate. He gave them an offering of a covenant. And they voluntarily chose to enter into an agreement with him. Mm-hmm. So in Exodus chapter 19, 5 and 6, it says, Now therefore, um, well, hang on, this isn't, isn't <laughs> I was worrying. All right, okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Okay. Uh, have you got this? I've been hugging all the scripture references. You want to read it? Or oh, sure. is it too tiny on your phone? No, I look, I got 20-20 vision, man. I can... I can read my phone. What am I going to read? Uh, verse 5 and 6? Yes, please. Okay. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be 
to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right. So the point is, God's not saying, look, um, I really like you guys and I'm going to abdicate my authority everywhere and only be your God. Right. No, he's saying you're going to be special to me. Mm -hmm. There's going to be an additional relationship that Mm -hmm. we have. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have any examples historically of a king and his people making a covenant where the king kept all his authority. The only thing I can think of is the Magna Carta, but that was, that's where the king is abdicating authority, mm-hmm. and he's kind of forced to do so because he doesn't have the power, uh, the muscle, if you will. It was his nobles that kind of forced his hand. So it's hard for us to maybe see, see a benevolent, all-powerful ruler making a covenant saying, if you will obey me, I will shower you with all of these blessings. It's typically through force. Which, by the way, I think is also an important point, the sharing with blessings, because typically we read Galatians and think that the the law was a curse to the people. The law was a great blessing. Mm-hmm. It was the people's disobedience that brought upon the curses. Exactly. I've, I've made that point preaching several times that their uh, perspective matters, and they're, both of them can be valid, and I'm not making that point to say that truth is relative, but simply that like, who's right, David or Paul? When David says... The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And Paul says the law, uh, I, I, I didn't know how to sin unless the law had you know, taught me that coveting was wrong. Well, who's right? Well, they both are. It's just there's a, a perspective of what was the law's purpose and then how did we respond to the law. So to me, that's, that's fascinating that the people tend to go to one way or the other. But yeah, both things are accurate. The, the law was good. This is a, a tremendous blessing for the people to have. Yeah, and I think Paul's point is that by works of the law, works of the law, no man shall be justified. And the point of the law wasn't to justify anybody. It was to grant them to be a blessing, to be what uh, a special treasure to me above all people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were supposed to be a witness to the nations of the holiness of God. Mm. And it wasn't the case where if you're an Israelite, you're circumcised on the eighth day, well, you're saved no matter what you do. It, it wasn't The purpose of the law wasn't for salvation. You could be saved under the law, but it wasn't right. for salvation. Right, right. Now, you've got Exodus 19 and Exodus 24 scriptures uh, that are talking about them entering into this covenant with God. But the point that you want to make in this section is that it's not a limiting God's reign to That's right. just over Israel. So God's reign has many aspects, if you will. His reign is over all the earth. He's also the God who reigns over Egypt. He, he demonstrated that in the plagues. He's the God that reigns over Moab, the God who reigns over uh, Edom, God who reigns over Midian, any ancient country that you can name any modern country that you can name he reigns over all the countries but he reigned over israel in a special way because he went into a special covenant with him mm-hmm. with them and the special covenant in part is that they um, consented to his authority so uh, exodus 19 verse 8 then all the people answered together and said all that the lord has spoken we will do so moses brought back the words to the people of the people to the lord the point is 
they said, we will do it. We will be your people. We consent to your authority. Now, whether they consented or not, he'd still have the authority over them. But right. there was a special sense that the kingdom, uh, uh, there's a special sense that God reigned over Israel. Right. Because it was different than his reign over the rest of the earth. Now, I've seen images before. And I'm going to ask your thoughts on this. Uh, a graphic of, of the reign of God, like a big circle, and then inside that circle is, oh, look at that. <laughs> it's on your handout. That's the one that's on page one of mine that's all lumped together. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, maybe I'm getting ahead of it then. No, that's that's exactly where we're going, so oh, keep okay. describing okay. it because you already <laughs> described one picture. I, I want to okay. hear you describe another. Okay. Well, uh, the, the purpose of this podcast wasn't simply to praise Jamie's uh, uh, Bible study organizational skills, but it's it is interesting that two times now it has naturally led me to uh, the next point in your study. So well done, Jamie. Um, but yeah, I've seen the image of like the big circle, and it says God's kingdom, and it's over like everything, all creation, and then within it is another circle, and it says the church mm-hmm. or uh, Israel, right? So the idea is that. There's within the grand scope of God's reign is a special people that are obeying God and are going to receive covenant blessings that others who are in the bigger circle won't receive, even though they're in the kingdom, so to speak, the reign of God. Will you maybe elaborate on that some more? Right. So I I think you can look at, well, it's really just what I was trying to describe just now, that there's different... um, Aspects is not really the right word. There's different um, uh, manifestations, I guess, of of God's reign. There's the manifestation of his reign in Egypt, uh, in North America, even in uh, ancient times. He reigns everywhere, but his reign over his people who consent to be governed by him is Mm -hmm. different. He has a different relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't exclude... um, his reign over anything else. Yeah. You have, uh, I don't have pages on my phone, so it's just, you have a note here that you call it like layers, like an onion. So you can peel off more layers of, of God's reign and, and there's just, it, there's more to it than that. Um, the first layer being the invisible part of God's kingdom. What's that? Well, there's another diagram that you apparently didn't get. Ah, so okay. <laughs> Matt, so this time I'll describe it. And by the way, the onion was a was a Shrek joke for uh, uh, people who are of our age. Okay, yes, yes. I would do my best Eddie Murphy donkey impression, but I'd be afraid it'd come it'd fall too short. So, <laughs> what about parfait? Everybody likes parfait. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. <laughs> so imagine you've got um, four circles. The the uh, inside one another. So the, the largest one is God's universal reign, mm-hmm. uh, and that includes everything, including the invisible creation. Sure. The angels, both good and bad, the things that we can't see with our physical eyes. Sure. God reigns over that. Okay. Now, inside that circle is another circle. Okay. And uh, that could be uh, the visible creation, you know, the, the earth, the sky. The animals, sure, they're under God's reign as well, and and even abstract things like uh, the laws of physics and yes. laws of thermodynamics and different 
scientific laws that people catalog or categorize. God reigns over those. So then, and the reason I'm bringing this up, that's what makes a miracle a miracle is that he is able to suspend those laws. He has reign over those things. And so things like gravity, when Jesus walks on water or uh, anyway, I'm going down a rabbit yeah, hole. That's, and that, that's exactly the point that um, people see Jesus walking on water or, or doing these miraculous things. And they say, who is this that uh, even the wind and the waves obey him? Uh, because he has authority over nature itself. Who has authority over nature? Nobody but God. Mm-hmm. Like not even kings of the earth have uh, have um, authority over the earth. Right. You know, there's a, I forget what the uh, the English king name was. Has I don't know if you heard this story where he commanded the waves to stop. And his, apparently his point was to show I don't have as much authority as God. Oh, but, wow. um, You know, it's, it's in like the the Middle Ages, eighth, eighth century or something oh, okay. like that. It's kind of a, an, an odd story from history. Sure. But, well, I think about the question in Matthew 9, who has the authority to forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus has, his answer is, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk. Yeah, with okay. a miracle, there's always a message. Right. Right. So we're still in the, the layers, the okay. invisible and now so the there's, visible. There's, there's four circles. We right. looked at number one was the largest one, invisible. Number two, inside that is the, the visible creation. Uh-huh. Number three, inside that one is going to be all people. Sure. Now, this is going to be everyone, uh, even those who are rebellious against God. They're under his authority. They're under his reign. But the last circle, uh, the fourth circle... The smallest one of all is going to be the righteous who submit to God's will. Now, in ring three, the unrighteous who reject God's, um, I don't want to say authority. Well, I guess they do reject God's authority. He still has authority over them. They're being ruled without their consent. Those in the innermost circle, God's people, Mm -hmm. are ruled um, with their consent. They embrace God's rule. And they're inside his grace, inside his favor. Does God's reign, God's authority, include God's presence? I have a follow-up question if I need to ask it. I don't understand your question very well. Can you ask it in a different way? Hell. Oh. So that's in God's reign or authority. But hell is, as I understand it, is that the absence of God's presence. It's a banishment. And so I would assume it's not outside of his authority because hell was made for the devil and his angels, so it's underneath his authority. So does one can be out of God's presence but still under his reign or out of... I feel like it's a very abstract question, but the idea that I'm trying to get at is it seems like people in that third layer who are being ruled without consent are still enjoying the fruits of being in God's presence, quote unquote, because he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Yes. And so it's like they, they don't know what it's like to live truly banished from God because they're still receiving a measure of his grace. There will come a time when they will not receive a measure of grace whenever they're in an eternity of away from God. Are they under God's authority and his reign in that state? So there's a lot I don't know about hell. 
So I'm going to, the short answer is I don't know, but I'm going to speculate because I can't help myself. <laughs> I think, you know, we have this popular picture of hell being the domain of Satan. Right. That Satan is down there reigning right now. now the Bible's, he's mixing Bible's, his boiling pot, yeah. getting it ready. Yeah. Now the Bible says that the devil is roaming on the earth. He's been cast down from heaven and is roaming on the earth. Mm-hmm. And hell is prepared for him and his angels. So I can't see... Th- there is nowhere that is outside of God's reign. I think the Bible is very clear about that. And if hell was outside of God's reign, then it really would be Satan's domain. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be a place of punishment. Mm-hmm. It would be a place of escape. Sure. And I don't really understand fully the concept of being away from the presence of God in hell, but I, I think you're onto something when you say that the rain falls on the just and the unjust here on earth. I think part of what heaven and hell is, is God saying, you want to serve me? then you can serve me for all eternity in heaven. You don't want to be have anything to do with me, then you don't have any of my blessings for all eternity. And it's giving people what they want. Sure. Although, you know, oftentimes in the Bible, punishments are ironic. People get what they ask for, and it turns out it's not what they want. <laughs> right. Okay. You think that- of Adam and Eve and... The curses that are laid upon them. Right. They, they got what they asked for. It just wasn't what they actually wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, I look to the book of Revelation, and at the end of it, the devil uh, is cast into the lake of fire. He, he's not down there inviting people in, welcoming them in, but this is his punishment as much as theirs. So it does make sense that this is an escape from the Lord's presence or the Lord's uh, reign, we mm-hmm. should say although it is a banishment from what he had intended, which is to reign with him. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah. Okay. So. Well, at, at this point, in, you know, uh, we're talking about things in such large scale. One of the things about your study that really excited me when I was looking over the notes is this next point where you're talking about the Davidic part of the covenant um, simply because I know... Uh, those that listen to this podcast know that my dad wrote a book, Doug Edwards, and it's on the Davidic Covenant. And I've talked to you about it. I've had others who are on this podcast who've talked about the kingdom and, and the value of the Davidic Covenant. I'm excited because it seems like this is part of a, a bigger conversation that's happening within the Lord's Church in recent years, and that is the how important the Davidic Covenant seems to be. Yeah, And it's a lot more important than at least me at least i've given it uh value as i've read through the bible but i'm looking at it through fresh eyes so uh i'm looking forward to this why did you decide to include it in this study on the reign of god well if you want to know why jamie included this in his study on the reign of god you're going to have to come back next week when the series continues on the reign of god and specifically as we get into the Davidic Covenant. I think it's a really fascinating part of the study. So come back. Until next week, you can go to the website and check out all of the resources that are there to use and utilize. Absolutely free to download. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Ba-do-do-do.
I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you.